Amen. If you'll turn your Bibles, please, to the book of First Samuel, First Samuel chapter uh, eight this morning. Now, imagine many of you, uh, not many of you in this uh, congregation this morning are, uh, are, ho- are hockey fans, uh, but I am. And um, I was watching this one thing on TV one, uh, one night about uh, the Detroit Wet Red Wings, and um, it was one of those behind the scenes to show uh, what they kind of do uh, on their road trips and what they do in, as far as their, uh, their preparation. And they had a guy on their team, and his name was uh, Nicholas Lidstrom, one of their greatest defensemen in all time. And he had managed to uh, extend his career and to still be able to play at a high level uh, into his early 40s. And I know it always was kind of disconcerting to me. You know, when I, uh, when I turned 40, you know, you would watch the, the sports and uh, the things like that, and they would talk about people like Tom Brady or people like that, and they would talk about how, how they turned uh, 40. You know, now that makes them over the hill, and they can't do it no more, and, uh, you know, they just need to be put out to pasture. You know, that just makes you really feel real good when you're turning 40. But anyway, he was able to play into his early 40s. And so they did an interview with him and said, how, how were you able or how are you able to still be able to play at such a high level at such an age when other people can't? And he looked at him and he said, well, you know, a lot of young people, when they start out in, in the league, they'll uh, find success and uh, their careers will be going good, but then all of a sudden they'll get bored. They'll get bored with the routine of waking up every morning and watching what they eat and eating the right things in their diet. They'll get bored with going for the runs and doing the exercise and doing the work in the gym. They'll get bored with doing those little things that you do each and every day that make you a great player. You know, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, we'll learn a lot about what these young players were like. Because the people of Israel were just like that, God had given them great success. And he had actually brought revival to them in chapter 7 as we read as they turned back to God. But they, like so many other times before, got bored of doing the little things. Doing those little everyday things that, that get you to the point where you have a great, fulfilling relationship with God. And you have an abundant life in him. They got bored with doing those things. They got bored with doing things God's way. And they decided rather, hey, we want to do things the way the world around us do. And we find out what happens to them this morning when they forget, when they forget who their king is. So let's read in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Let's begin with verse number 1. It says this, When Samuel became old, he made his sons judge over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was uh, Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together, and came to Samuel at, at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all of the other nations. But this thing displeased Samuel. 
And then he said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to God. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For you have, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from, the, from being their king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods so that they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall rule over them. So Samuel, so, so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people and who were asking for the king to rule over them. <clears throat> he said, there, these are going to be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his chariots and to his horsemen, and he will run before his chariots, and he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and some to reap the harvest. And to make his implements of war and the equipment for his chariots, he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain of your your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and and your donkeys and put them to his work. And he will take a tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all other nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and to fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard heard all the words of the people. He reported them to the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the, peop- to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity to come in your presence this morning. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, as we just spend these next few moments in your word, Lord, you open up our hearts. Lord, just to realize, Lord, that in our world, in our kingdom, in your kingdom, Lord, that we do not do things like the people around us, but rather we follow you. And Lord, as we read these verses this morning, we do not make the error of the Israelites, but we recognize you as the king of our life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. How fitting it is on Father's Day that uh, we talk about Samuel and, and his children that Samuel was a great man of God and how Samuel turned the fortunes of the people of Israel around and how Samuel was a great teacher of God's word and how he prophesied for and he led the people in the direction of the Lord their God. And there were his children, Joel and Abijah. And, but these children of his did not have the same spirit as what Samuel did. They did not look upon their responsibility as judges the same way that Samuel did. 
it's a solemn reminder to us that, uh, that have children or those of you who have uh, take on as your children the people here in this congregation as, as we all do to understand that, you know, as much as we try to teach them and as much as we try to show them what's right and what's wrong, we can't change or we can't mold their hearts. There are some decisions that they're going to have to make for themselves and we can pump as much ethical teaching, we could pump as much scripture, we can drag them to church, and we, but only they, but only they can make decisions of the heart. Only they can really decide if they are going to apply it in their lives. And it's somewhat of a heart-wrenching thing sometimes that as you see that young people who that you know and you love, who rather are your, are your, your own children or your grandchildren, are just young people that you really care about to see them having so much and been given, instructed in such a way and being taught in such a way, but yet they depart from it and go their own way. And that was the way of of Samuel's children as they went their own way and they didn't follow in what God's instructions were. And so it was at this time the people decided, you know what, I'm really tired of doing things God's way. I'm tired of the way that God has sort of set this up. God set up this kingdom to work like this, is that he, God alone, was the king of the people. And after Moses and after Joshua He didn't appoint a senior leader, but rather appointed judges because they had the law. They knew what the law was. And so all that was meant for there to be had, and they actually had a king because the king was God. And so all that was meant for them to have were judges, people that would help to clarify the law, people who would help them understand what God's commands are, people who were there to settle the disputes and amongst the people. And when the enemies would attack and when there was a need to go to war, then the judges would arise to help to assemble the people, an army of all the tribes of Israel to go handle the conflict. But you know what? The people got tired of this system because it required for them to maintain a close relationship with God. It required for them to do some effort on their own part. And they said, you know what? We're tired of doing it God's way. We see a way that the other nations are around us that are doing it. And we think their way is better because we're the only ones that are trying to do this stupid system that God's got us doing. Why don't we do what everybody else is doing. And I can just imagine Samuel looking at at his children and looking at the children of Israel and tell them the same wisdom that I'm sure that your father told you when you spoke such things would say something like this. Well, if everybody else was jumping off the bridge, would you too? But that's essentially what they were doing. It's because they want it to be like the world. They said, Samuel, you're old. You're over the hill. You can't do nothing for us. There's really no hope for us and your children. So what we want to do is we want to have a king like everybody else. And this displeased Samuel. And it displeased them on two levels. I imagine it displeased them on a personal level, didn't it? That they were actually rejecting him. That they were saying, Samuel, you done got too old To do this, you done got too decrepit. We don't really want your leadership no more, so we want somebody else. 
And I'm sure that we've all kind of felt that sense of rejection. When people say that we are too old to do something or that we're not qualified to do something or they don't want us to do something anymore, that even though that they may not be looking at you personally, you always take it personal. And as much as you may say that you're hard or you're doing it for the Lord or that uh, you you don't think about what other people think about you, it's really not true because we all take those things personally, don't we? And Samuel took it personally. And not only did he take it personally, but he saw this for what it was. It was a rejection of what God's plan was. And so he took it before the Lord, and you could just imagine the feelings and the prayer that he prayed, that he prayed his feelings of rejection. He prayed that as he saw not only his own sons going astray, but he also saw the nation to which he had devoted so much of his life turning and cultivating and leading in the ways of God to now say they don't want God no more. And you can just imagine what that prayer was. And God says to Samuel and speaks to him, said, Samuel, don't take it personally. It's not you that they're rejecting, but rather they are rejecting me. And he says, you know what? They've been doing this. These people have been so rebellious from the time that I've brought them out of Egypt till now. This is what they do. This is what they do. This is what their fathers did. This is what their grandfathers did. This is what their great-great-fathers did. This is what their great-great-great-great-grandfathers did. And they wonder why I hand them all out Bibles on Father's Day. Because they were living in rebellion. They always eventually got tired of following God's instructions. God would bless them, and they would follow him for a while. But then they got tired of going to that tabernacle. They got tired of offering those sacrifices. They got tired of obeying those commandments. They got tired of studying that scripture. And they said, you know what? We don't want it anymore. They have rejected God as their king. They said they wanted a king, but never really truly realized that God was the king. And if you think really honestly that that's what the problem was, is they never fully recognized God for who he was. He was their king. He was the one who not only gave them the laws, but he was the one who took care of them. He was the one who fed them in the wilderness. He was the one who brought them out of Egypt. He was the one who allowed them to conquer their land. But they never really recognized him as king. And being so that they didn't, they eventually turned away from him. And the same will happen to you. If you don't recognize God for who he is in your life, if you don't recognize him as king, eventually you'll fall away and you'll demand another king in your life. And so what does God do? Well, God does what I'm sure a lot of you as parents have done when your children are about to go off the roads and we're about to do something stupid. Sometimes you just have to sit back and give them what they ask for, and let them reap the consequences, huh? 
That's what the Heavenly Father did. He says, you know what? They say they want a king. Let's give them a king. But you just let them know what the king's going to do. And here's what the king's going to do. The king is going to take all of their young men, and he's going to have them in the army. He's going to take all the young women, and he's going to have them as wives, and he's going to have them as perfumers, and he's going to have them as cooks, and he's going to have them as bakers. He's going to take a tenth. He's going to levy taxes on them, and he's going to take their fields and just give them willingly to uh, his servants and the people that he likes and his friends. And he's going to take all the other people and appoint them to the labor of his fields and his vineyards that he took from the people in the first place. And he says, this is what the king is going to do. And then they're going to feel the weight of those taxes. They're going to feel the weight of that servitude. And they're going to cry out to God. And God's going to just look at him and say, hey, you asked for it. And so that's what God did. He told Samuel to go tell the people, I'm going to give you what you want, but it's not going to turn out the way that you want it to. And so he gives this list of people. I mean, this list of requirements. He said, this is what the king is going to do for you. This is what the king is going to do to you. He's going to take all your stuff. He's going to enslave all your people. And he is pretty much going to make you a slave to him. And listen to what the people said in verse number 19. It says, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, no. But there shall be a king over us. Apparently, America isn't the only one with dumb voters, huh? Apparently, America isn't the only one who makes bad decisions about their leadership and what they want. When it's clearly laid out what's going to happen and how bad it's going to be, their desire so much was for a king, they said, well, we don't care. Let it be so. We want a king. And it's very important to listen to these next words that, he, that they speak in verse number 20. It says, they want the king. Let there be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. The first problem was there, number one, is that there was the desire that they be like other nations. Isn't that the desire for us as Christians? Is that we want to be like everybody else around us. As much as God tells us what the ultimate destiny is of those who gain wealth unjustly, as God lets us know What is the final destiny of people who commit adultery, who steal, and who murder, and who do all of these things? Even though that God tells us that that is their ultimate destiny, and as God tells us that of what will happen in our hearts, in our lives, if we do those things, we say we don't care. We want to be like everybody else. When we allow other people to set the pattern for us as believers how we should live. 
we'll lose every time. I was reading in first and uh, second uh, Kings this week, and that closing epithet after Samaria and the northern kingdom was taken into into um, into captivity. The book gives an epithet of how it happened and why it happened. And one of the verses says this. It says, They went after worthless gods, worthless idols, and they themselves became worthless. Doesn't Jesus tell us the same thing when he says that you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savior, savor, what good is it to be thrown out and to be trampled on by man? God desires for us to be distinct. God desires for us to be different. That's why he called us. That's why he sent his son. That's why he gives us his word. He desires for you and to me to be different than what the world is around us because the world is full of darkness, but God, God shows us light. And he desires that we would reflect his light to the lost and dying world. But what do we want? We want to be just like them. We want to have the rewards. We want to have the stuff We want to have the things. We want to have the good life that they have. And so in becoming like the world, we become worthless to God. We want to be just like the world. And then they said, well, we want somebody. We want somebody who is going to judge us. We want somebody who's going to go out before us. We want somebody who is going to fight our battles. And you can just imagine God sitting up in heaven, enthroned on high, between the cherubim, with all the angels all around him, hearing them say that, and for the Lord Almighty to just reach up and scratch his head and look down at those people and say, What do you think I do? What do you think I'm doing for you? You want somebody to judge you? What do you think I was doing when I gave you the law? What do you think I was doing when I appointed judges over you? And I had a system to which these disputes between you and me and between your brothers, fellow brothers, to be handled. What do you think I was doing when I took the people who who rebelled against me, and I struck them down. What do you think I was doing? I am the king. I am the one who judges between right and wrong. I am the one who judges you, and I am the one who judges the world. But you don't recognize me as king, and so you don't recognize my judgments. You don't recognize my laws. You want to be like everybody else. We want someone to go before us. In other words, we want someone to lead us. We want someone to set the patterns for our life. We want somebody to stand before us and to 
be sort of the symbol of our nation. We want somebody to administer and to keep things in order. And God said, who do you think? Who do you think led you out of Egypt? Who do you think led you through the wilderness? Who do you think led you into the promised land? Who do you think sets with his banner over you? You are my people, and I go before you. But you did not recognize me as king, so you do not recognize my leadership in your life. And so you feel lost. You feel lost, and you want someone to guide you, and you're looking to the world to lead you. And let me tell you, if the world's leading you, I can tell you where you're going to wind up. It's not going to be good. And then they say this, we want somebody to fight our battles for us. Can you just imagine what type of short-term memory that these people have to think that they do not have somebody who fights their battles for them. Even after God, in his own might, in his own strength, without any help with them whatsoever, conquered Pharaoh and delivered them out of Egypt. Who was it that fought? And how was it that they defeated their enemies in the desert? King Og and all the others. Who was it that defeated the armies of Jericho? Was it Joshua and his mighty trumpeteers? What did they do? They just merely marched around. But it was God who fought the battle. Who was it that gave them the land there? And who was it just a few, one chapter ago, who defeated the Philistines? By just their prayer and worship. Who was it? It was their king. It was God. It was the Lord Almighty. It was the God of armies. But they don't recognize God as their king. And so they didn't trust God to fight their battles. And so they said, we want to fight them like everybody else is fighting their battles. And they lost. Many of us feel lost in our lives, even as Christians. And we say to ourselves, I wish we had someone to help me make decisions and make judgments. I wish I had someone to lead me and guide me. I wish I had someone to fight my battles for me and who would stand up for me. How easily do we forget that we have God as our king. And he is always there judging us, leading us, and fighting our battles for us. But do we recognize God's kingship in our life? So many times we don't. So many times we don't because we've alienated ourselves from him. We don't read our scripture. We don't pray. We don't worship. And we don't take our problems to him. And so when things come up, we just look around us and see how all the world is doing it. And we follow their example and we follow their pattern 
and we wonder why it never really works out for us. We need to recognize God as the king of our life. We need to recognize God as the Lord of our church. We need to let God judge us. We need to let God go before us and lead us. And we need to trust God to fight the battles for us. But too many times, we are like the wayward children. And we desire so much to be like the world. And eventually, God lets us have our way. He lets us make our own decisions and lets us make our own messes. But there's a great, there's a great word, a great word of God's grace in this story. That even as much as them asking for a king was a rejection of God and his disobedience. He worked through that mistake and he blessed them. And eventually he raised up a great king, a king after God's own heart. And he established his throne and he said that his throne would last forever. And it was the line of that king that brought us the ultimate King of kings and Lord of lords. And isn't a great word of hope for us this morning that even in our times of disobedience, when we make mistakes and when we turn away and we face certain consequences of those actions, when we come back, God will turn that brokenness. God will turn those things through his grace and through his mercy to something great. God is so merciful for us, to us. God is so loving. God is our mighty warrior. God is our great shepherd. Why should we ever turn from him being our king? And so I pray this morning that we will recognize him being the king of kings, and Lord of lords, not only over all of creation, not only over all the world, not only over our nation, and not only over our church, but most importantly, in our lives. Let Jesus rule in you, for he is our king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to be here this morning. And Lord, we're grateful that you are our king. We're grateful for the loving kindness to which you lead us. Lord, we thank you for your patience and our mercy and our mistakes. Lord, that how you can even take the broken roads and the broken pieces of our life and turn them into something beautiful. Lord, I pray today, this morning, right here, we will confess you as our king. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and